Hey, if we haven't met, my name's Austin. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, hey, welcome. So uh, if you are new, uh, I just want to tell you really quick, really quick on the front end of this, I'm, I'm, I'm excited you're trying things out today. I'm assuming that you're here because uh, somebody invited you, you're checking out the church, see if this is a place for you. Uh, maybe you're here totally by yourself and uh, you're here because you're trying to figure out what's going on in your life. Uh, man, is what these people believe, is there any power in it? Is it real? Uh, listen, we want to help you in whatever way we can. One of the tools that we have for you is if you scan with your, with your phone the QR code on the, on the seat back in front of you or up on the screen, uh, there's a form that says new to the commons. It takes about 15 seconds to fill out. Uh, if you'd fill it out, um, we won't spam you. We won't annoy you. We just want to help you. We want to answer questions that you have about the church, help you take whatever next steps you're looking to take, okay? So there's that. Also, if, you are, if you've been coming here for a while, and, uh, and you're calling this church your home, I want to invite you into something that's happening next week. Uh, uh, this is for people who've already taken our Intro to the Commons class, uh, which if you haven't taken that, you should. You'll learn a lot more about who we are and where we're headed. Uh, but if you call this church your home and you've taken Intro to the Commons, I want to invite you to come to our membership at the Commons class next week. Uh, coming to that class does not mean that you're ready to make that decision to become a member. It doesn't mean you take it, you become a member. It tells you what that is at our church. And I just want you to know, you know, our church on a Sunday, uh, you know, we, we have a lot of people gather. We have only about 150 members in this church. And I say that for two reasons. One, uh, I, I actually appreciate the fact that we take that very seriously. And it is a process. It's not just show up and, you know, sign up and boom. Uh, but we want to know that you are following Christ and that you are all in with what's happening here. And, and so, you know, that's why there's so few. But the other side of that is, Honestly, I don't know that we've like actually encouraged you enough like we should to take this step. You know, you look at scripture, you look at what's happening in the churches there, uh, membership is a biblical precedent thing. And, uh, and we want to be able to shepherd you the best. And so in our membership class, we talk about what it is. We talk about why the Bible says it's important. And, uh, and, we, and we tell you what that looks like in our church. So I invite you to join us for that. Again, if you want to sign up for that, uh, you can scan the QR code. We will feed you lunch next week after the second service. And uh, it'd be about an hour and 15 minute class, okay? Uh, guys, this is, a, this is an interesting week in the life of our church, an exciting week in the life of our church. Um, we on Friday night kicked off 48 hours of prayer. A couple months ago, I started to wrestle with this question, man, what might God do through 48 hours of unceasing, unrelenting prayer? And then I kind of brought that to you guys the past couple of weeks. We've done our 48 prayer series, and we've been asking that question, and right now we're in the midst of that 48 hours. We're about on hour 39 to 40 right now. My math isn't good, so I'm, you know, give or take a couple hours there. And, uh, and, and so it started, on, it started on Friday night at 6. We all gathered in here. Uh, then at 7, we opened up, we turned one of our rooms downstairs into a prayer room. And since 7 o'clock Friday night, uh, including right now, that room, guys, it has been full of people. Uh, even through the night, like the early, the late night hours, the early morning hours, it has been full. And I don't know if you've been in there yet. I don't know if you've uh, experienced that yet. Uh, you still have time. Uh, and I'm just telling you, we're going after the heart of God. We want to know, what might God do through 48 hours of us just coming after him? Uh, and so tonight, here's how it's going to end. Uh, I want to invite you into this. Tonight at 4.30 right here, I get it, the Lions play. Uh, tonight we'll be done in time for you to get home and see the Lions. Um, also, I'm seeing way too many of number 97 around here. You do realize he played for the school down the road, right? Uh, we, we can support the Lions, but not him. Um, <laughs> we will be done in time for you to go to, the, uh, to watch the game tonight, all right? <clears throat> um, our 48 hours ends at 6. Kickoff is like 6.30, probably 6.37. Uh, we're going to end at 6. We're going to start at 4.30 in this room. 
And here's kind of how we've been talking about this. So, so Friday night, six o'clock, we gathered the troops in here. Uh, we got everybody geared up, synced up, ready to go. Um, and, and, and then seven o'clock, the ground invasion began. And we sent in the first wave of troops at seven, prayed over them, sent them down there. Then at eight o'clock, we sent in another wave. And at nine o'clock, another wave. And it's been so cool. If you've been down there for the shift change, when that new wave comes in, oh, the energy that comes into the room, it's super cool. And so wave after wave in this ground invasion. So then 4.30, you know, there's, there comes a point sometimes in a, in a battle surge where you actually got to pull back the troops and ask for more more power. And so at 4.30, we're pulling back the troops. We're going to gather in here and we're going to call for an airstrike. Uh, we're going to ask God to do uh, some things that only he can do. Uh, we're we're going to pray over people in this room. We're going to pray over our college students, our high school, middle school students. We're going to pray over our marriages. Uh, we're going to pray uh, for our lost friends, our lost family members. Guys, we're going to pray for healing. Uh, I'm going to share a story tonight. Today is almost one, a three-year anniversary from one of the most powerful answers to prayer I've ever experienced, and many of you were part of that in this church, God healing um, a, a woman in our church who was actually up here singing uh, just a few minutes ago. Uh, we're going to pray for healing. Uh, we're going we're gonna to ask God to do what only he can do. And so I want to invite you to be a part of this, 4.30, right back here. Who said you can't go to church two times in, uh, in one Sunday? So, all right, that's a lot on the front end. Uh, that said, open to Romans chapter 6. If you've got a Bible, open to Romans chapter 6. Um, if you are new to the commons, like today's your first day, or you've only been coming the past couple weeks, then you need to know this about us. Our normal cadence is to just pick a book of the Bible and, and study through it verse by verse. So we have been in Romans, minus a couple breaks, uh, we've been in Romans since, uh, since late August, early September. And, uh, and, and this is our case. We want to go verse by verse through God's word. We want to let God's word speak for itself. There's a couple reasons, there's a few reasons we do this, two in particular that we normally just take a book, go through it is, I mean, one, God says, Jesus says uh, in Matthew 4, 4, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And, and what we know is the best way that we can not only feed this church, but actually teach you to feed yourselves, you know, give a man a fish, feed him for a day, teach a man a fish, uh, uh, feed him for a lifetime. The best way that we can do that is actually to walk through scripture verse by verse, showing you how we're studying it. Uh, but the second big reason that we just go verse by verse is, uh, man, um, there's a lot of things that I would not choose to preach on if, if, uh, if we were just kind of hopping around. And, and the reality is, man, this book has transformed my life. And I know many of you, it has totally transformed your life. But there's a lot of things in here that are hard. And they rub up against what culture's teaching. They rub up against what the world's teaching. And, uh, and they, in teaching it, you know, we get emails uh, that we don't like to get and so on. But the reality is, is when we teach through it verse by verse, we are held accountable to God's word. And, and this becomes our plumb line, not anything else, not my ideas, not the world's ideas, God's ideas. And so we go verse by verse through it. So that's what we're doing. Romans six, we're picking up in verse one this week and we're going to get through verse 14. So Romans chapter six, everybody take a big breath. I just, I just word vomited all in your faces. Okay. Take a big breath. Here we go. Romans chapter six. If you got it, let me hear you say, I got it. All right, here we go. Verse one, Paul says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Now, before we, we go any further, I, I want you to see how this question in verse one is feeding off of chapter five, where we've been before. So you go backwards to verse 18 of chapter five, and Paul writes, therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, 
talking about the sin of Adam. So one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men, talking about the death and resurrection of Jesus. For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, Adam, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous, Jesus. Verse 20, now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now I want to emphasize verse 20. Again, verse 20. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Now we've been saying this throughout our Roman study. The law was given to us less as rules and more so as revelation to help us see. So like the 10 commandments, everybody you know, knows or at least thinks they know the 10 commandments. We view that as like God giving us a bunch of rules. Do this and don't do that. But you need to understand more than him giving us those 10 commandments and the rest of the law as rules, he's giving it to us as revelation to help us see. Which leads to the question, help us see what? Well, to help us see that guys, we are sinners who fall drastically short of God's righteousness. You know, in giving us the law, God is revealing his righteousness to us. And in seeing the law, we see how far, far short, we, short we, we fall. This is, by the way, this is why people tend to not like what the Bible says. Like this is why the world is more and more moving to dismiss God's word as outdated and, and irrelevant, namely God's law. In, in a culture that preaches, guys, you are enough. And you've got what it takes. And man, live your truth. God's law exposes that none of that is true. You and I fall dramatically short. We're not enough. And if we keep living our truth, then we're gonna die in our sin. But, but here's what you gotta see. God's law, it's not evidence for God being harsh and mean and cruel. Quite the opposite, in fact. God's law is evidence of God's great love because without it, we'd have no idea that we need to be rescued. You go back to verse 20. He says, now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So he says, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. The law not only reveals our sin, but once we see what God has done for us through Jesus, the law then starts revealing how huge God's grace is. So here's what I mean. It's one thing to see your sin and realize you need God's grace. It's another thing to keep on sinning more and more and, and, and seeing more and more of your sin and realize that God keeps on dumping out his grace on you. Like, is that your story? You know, those of you who are believers in Christ, growing in Christ, been walking with him for a while, I don't know if this is true for you. It's true for me. More and more, I see my sin. One, because I keep on sinning, but two, I just see sin that I didn't realize was in my life before. And as I see more and more of my sin, I realize that God keeps dumping out more and more of his grace. The point is, you can't, your sin can't outrun God's grace. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Nothing you could ever do could ever disqualify you from being able to receive God's grace. And this is what leads to the question in Romans 6 verse 1, which, by the way, is a question that was being asked back then. And which, by the way, is a question that's being asked today. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin 
that grace may abound? Now, how foolish of a question. Uh, Here's how the question gets asked today. Okay, Austin, what about the person who claims to be a follower of Jesus, but their life doesn't look any different? They never turn from any sin. And, And while we're talking about it, honestly, like why not just keep living whatever way we're living if God's gonna keep on forgiving you anyways? That's the question Paul's asking. And and look at Paul's response. Verse two, he says, by no means. Uh, More literal translation there is heck no, absolutely not. How can we who died to sin still live in it? The, The question in verse one, it reveals a fundamental misunderstanding of the gospel. And in these next 13 verses, Paul, he's going to explain to us why, and he he starts with what he says here in verse 2. Look at what he says. He says, absolutely not. He says, how can we who died to sin still live in it? This is key. He says, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Now, I want you to hold your finger in Romans 6 or your thumb, and I want you to flip a few pages to the right to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Listen to what Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 3 says. So so Paul, Ephesians 2, 1, he says, And you were dead in the trespasses. I'll give you more time. I hear pages flipping. I'll give you a second. Here we go. It's like, I don't know, 20 pages to the right. All right, here we go. Ephesians 2, 1 says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all, everybody, once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Now he's talking to Christians here. So the reality is, we either all once lived this way, or we all still are living this way. And I want you to see specifically verse one, he says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Let me give you this big, huge truth. It's gonna drive this sermon that every single one of us needs to grapple with and know how to answer. It's this. You are either dead in sin or dead to sin. You are either dead in sin or you're dead to sin. Which is it for you? Are you dead in sin or are you dead to sin? And I'm telling you, there's not a more important question for you to answer this morning. Before Jesus, we are dead in our sin. But after Jesus is welcomed into our life, we are now dead to our sin. So now we gotta ask the question, what does it mean to be dead to sin? And verse three begins to answer. So verse three, he says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Now, first of all, I wanna stop and point this out because it's easy to skip over this. But he says, do you not know? You see that beginning of verse three. He says, do you not know? In other words, he's saying, do you really understand what's happened to you if you've put your faith in Jesus? He's saying, do you really understand the gospel and the implications that it has on on, on your life? Here's my fear for this room. Here's my fear. 
Not all of you, but many of you, you grew up in or around the church. Catholic or Protestant, either one, this is true. And you can easily regurgitate good theology or, you know, theology. But you need to understand, regurgitating isn't the same as actually understanding. Like, regurgitating good theology isn't the same of that good theology having actually taken effect in your life. Do you really understand what this means? That's what Paul's saying. Do you really understand the implications that it has on your life? So he says, verse three, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death. In order that, or so that, or for the purpose of, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, by the power of the Father, by the might of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So today, uh, we get to celebrate baptizing eight people, four in this service, four in the next. These are people who are going to publicly profess through getting in that frigid, cold water right there that they have placed their faith in Christ. That God has changed them. Here's what I want you to see. Water baptism, what we're going to do today, is symbolic of spiritual baptism. And in chapter 6, verse 3, Paul is talking about the spiritual baptism that the water baptism we're about to do this morning symbolizes. So what is spiritual baptism? The word baptism, it means to be immersed in something. It, it means to sink. So for Paul to say uh, that you've been baptized into Christ, it means that you have been immersed or you have sunk into Jesus. Uh, Colossians 3 offers some explanation here. It says, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So according to that, to be baptized into Christ is for your life to be hidden in or hidden behind his life. So when God looks at you, he no longer sees your sin, he sees his son. Uh, Galatians 3.26 says, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. That phrase put on, in the Greek, it's more literally translated clothed. So to be baptized into Christ is for you to put on Christ or to be wrapped in Christ, or to be clothed in Christ. Now, honestly, I might be going too deep here for a sermon that's supposed to be short uh, this morning. So, but this goes all the way back <clears throat> to Genesis chapter three. Genesis three, what happened in Genesis three? Like this is the day that sin entered the world. And do you remember how this went down? So in Genesis three, Adam and Eve, uh, they get deceived by Satan. Uh, so they eat the fruit that God told them not to eat, and ultimately, they sin against God. And after they sin against God, suddenly, they realized that they were naked and they were ashamed of it. So they tried to hide their nakedness from each other, and they tried to hide their nakedness from God. And so here's what happens. God seeks them out. He exposes their sin. And then what does he do? Do you remember what he does? It's powerful. Genesis 3, verse 21, it says, the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin. And what does it say? He clothed them. So God covered up their shame. How? 
How did he do it? Think about it. Genesis 3, it's a long time ago. He made garments of skins. How did he, how did he cover up their shame? He, sat, he killed an animal. He sacrificed an animal and used it to clothe them. This was all foreshadowing what was to come through Jesus. So what is spiritual baptism? Spiritual baptism is this. God sacrificed Jesus for us. And because he was sacrificed, our sin and our shame can be covered up. And when we place our faith in Christ, we are baptized into Christ. We are hidden in Christ. We are clothed in the righteousness of Christ, which means what? Well, verse 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Here's what it means. It means that everything that is true of Jesus is suddenly now true of you. It means that his death becomes your death. His burial becomes your burial. His resurrection becomes your resurrection. His new life becomes your new life. His right standing before God becomes your right standing before God. His son status before the Father becomes your son status before the Father. His free access into the presence of a holy God and King becomes our free access into the presence of a holy God and King. To be baptized into Christ means our life of sin and our life of guilt gets swapped out for Jesus' life of righteousness. And who wouldn't want that? Who wouldn't want that? Some of you, you need that. And you can have that today through faith in Christ. But you go back to verse 1. He says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? How can we who died to sin still live it? Still live in it? Are you dead in sin or are you dead to sin? Which is true of you. You still need to answer that question and still need to answer this question. Okay, so what does it really mean to be dead to sin? Well, verse 5, he goes further. Verse 5, he says, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Now, first of all, I want you to circle that word if, for if. Uh, it's circled in my Bible, if. And the reason I want you to circle it is because like in a room this size, that's a, that becomes a really important word, which leads back to that big question. Like you are either dead in sin or you're dead to sin. Which is it for you? Some of you in here, you're still dead in sin. Others of you, you're dead to sin. This if is very relevant in this room. If, if, because it's not true of everybody. For if we have been, and let me just say actually about this, have you wrestled with that if before? I mean, legit wrestled with it. Like, like too many just assume that because you're sitting in, you know, in church on Sunday, you and God are good. But you've never wrestled with this if. Your geographic location does not impact your spiritual standing before God. So he says, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. 
we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. So, so Paul says, if we've been baptized into Christ, we're talking about the spiritual baptism that the water baptism symbolizes, then he says, here's what we know. If you've been baptized into Christ, then here's what we know. We know, he says, that our old self was crucified with him. Now again, I want you to like circle or in some way mark that phrase, our old self. Our old self. And then I want you to, in the margin next to it, I want you to write the word identity. Identity. Because that's what it's talking about. Identity. You know, there's a lot of talk about identity these days in our culture. Uh, there needs to be more talk about identity in the church. Uh, the question in Romans 6.1, it's only asked by the person who thinks that the Bible and Christianity and Jesus is all about modifying your actions to fit this mold that we call Christian. No, that is far from what this is. The stuff that is revealed in here goes way deeper than that and is much more powerful than that. The gospel is about changing, uh, it, the gospel is not about changing your behavior. The gospel is about changing your identity altogether. And it makes sense, by the way, that our culture is talking about identity so much. Satan always counterfeits what God creates. And God, through Jesus, he wants to change your identity. Satan, through lies, also wants to change your identity. And you need to know that what God has for you, it's so much better. So he says, we know that our old self, our old identity was crucified with him. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. God's desire for you isn't to modify your behavior. His desire is to make you a completely new person. He wants to change your identity. So again, back to what I said at the beginning. You're either dead in sin or you're dead to sin. And listen, that's not a statement about how you act. That is a statement about who you are. And I think there's an identity crisis, honestly, in our church. How can we who died to sin still live in it? The only way we can is if we don't know who we are. Okay, so um, this, this probably isn't like the best illustration to share. Uh, I think it'll be a little bit helpful though. I it came up in a conversation this week and I was like, oh my gosh, that, that actually kind of fits the sermon. So uh, Leslie and I, we got married. My wife, Leslie and I, we got married. And her maiden name was Hirsch. Uh, and Wadlow's way better. So you're welcome. But anyways, so when we got married... She has this passport. It says Leslie Hirsch. And we made sure, like, do we need to get this passport changed before we go on our honeymoon? Because we're going to Mexico. And man, I wish we'd go back to Mexico, but our kids are so stinking young and whatever. But uh, we, we found out, okay, even though her name uh, was, was changed because of the whole marriage thing, uh, in the short time span, they were fine with her passport still saying Leslie Hirsch. We just needed to book the tickets under the name Leslie Hirsch. So we did. We went to Mexico. Leslie Hirsch. Me and Leslie Hirsch went to Mexico. And it was great. Um, all inclusive. Got sunburned. It was great. About eight months later, her best friend, maid of honor, uh, was getting married. And this was in December. She was going to get married. And here's the deal. Her best friend married 
uh, or was going to marry this, uh, this very successful PGA golfer from Mexico. And he's like sponsored by, you know, these resorts and stuff. And so they were going to have their wedding in Mexico at this resort. And it was going to be awesome. And there was going to be like famous people there. And like PGA, I don't care about golf, but I'm like, there's going to be P- Sergio Garcia was going to be there. And uh, I'm like, that's pretty cool. And so I'm like, cool, let's go, you know, party with, uh, you know, because we're big time partiers. Let's go party with, uh, you know, the PGA golfers and their friends and uh, in Mexico. And, uh, uh, and so we booked the tickets, Austin Wadlow, Leslie Wadlow. And uh, Thanksgiving, two weeks out, we are at my, uh, we're visiting my family. And one night, oh my gosh, I just had this epiphany realization of we never changed her passport. So her passport still said Leslie Hirsch. And we're two weeks out from traveling as Leslie Wadlow. So I'm like, this is bad. So I'm like calling, trying to figure out, is there anything we can do? Can we expedite it? I'll pay for it. And they're like, no, you will not get a passport changed in that amount of time. Uh, Literally, the person on the phone said, you can go to Mexico, but your wife can't. So I got off the phone. I was like, babe, I'm going to Mexico to hang out with Sergio. Uh, I'm sorry, you can't can't go. Uh, We ended up having to cancel our trip. We couldn't go. We lost everything. Well, not everything, just what we invested in that trip. We still have a good marriage and love each other. We couldn't, <laughs> we couldn't go on the trip because Leslie's identity changed. Her last name is no longer Hirsch, it's Wadlow. So what does it mean to be dead to sin? Man, the most basic answer to this is it's to be a completely new person. Your identity has changed. But Paul unpacks it further. So read verse six. Verse six, we know that our old self, our old identity was crucified with him, with Christ, in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. Now, there's a lot that we could unpack in here, but I want to hone in on on three words, three phrases. Okay, the first is in verse six. He says, you are no longer enslaved. No longer enslaved. It's underlined in my Bible. Verse seven, he says, you have been set free. Set free. And then in verse nine, he says, Death no longer has dominion, dominion over you, rule over you. So if I could go back to the passport illustration again. So I, I used to, when I lived in Texas, I used to have this lady named Shalee who cut my hair. I had some then. And she did a great job. Like, I, you know, it's like, I, I don't know, guys, I don't understand girls in their haircuts. Like once every two years and it costs like $1,000. I don't get it. But, you know, guys, like we got to go every few weeks, you know. And, uh, and, you, and you, you know, if you're going to like, uh, you know, uh, cheap cuts or whatever it's called, it's like, well, it's called cheap cuts for a reason because it's cheap and they're not any good. And so, you know, when you find somebody, it's like, man, I'm going to stick with that person. They, they start to learn your head and the contours and all that stuff. And uh, anyway, so I, I go to Shalee for like six years and man, she was great. Uh, Shalee was from Thailand. And, and during this process, she was trying to get her U.S. citizenship. And it was really fun. She was so excited about it. Um, by the way, I ended up... Um, when we moved to Iowa for a couple of years, uh, I had to get a new haircut person. And this person was just, I couldn't find anybody that could do it right. And finally, I'm getting my haircut by this, by this lady. 
And I was like, no, can you fix that? Can you fix that? She's like, no, I can't. Your hairline has receded so much. Maybe you should just start buzzing your head. And I'm like, are you kidding me right now? Can you say that to your customers? So I started buzzing my head after that, uh, uh, you know, after that outing. So, but going back to Shalee, she was trying to get her U.S. citizenship. And uh, I'll remember that, I'll, I'll, I'll never forget the day that she got it. I, I come in to get my hair cut and she, no joke, she had American flags all over the place. She had her iPhone playing the national anthem. And she's like, like, I pledge allegiance. I'm like, you don't got to do that right now. Uh, she was pumped. She was pumped. So proud to be a citizen of the U.S. But here's the thing. She was also still a citizen of Thailand. She had dual citizenship. And, and I say this because many of us live like the gospel makes us dual citizens. We've got one foot in the world and one foot in the word. But you need to know that's, that's crazy when you think about it. Again, look at the language. No longer enslaved. Set free. Uh, sin no longer has dominion over you. Colossians 1 says, God has delivered us from the domain or the rule or the kingdom of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Like Jesus, yeah, he gives you a new passport. Your old one gets thrown away. This new one is better. But honestly, here's probably a better way to think of this. Seeing your sin and asking to be saved, it's not just about seeing these rules God's made that you, you know, you got to follow now or begrudgingly follow. To truly see your sin is to realize that you have been duped. You're being held for ransom. Sin has lied to you and been lying to you this whole time. Like the imagery here is of, uh, is you're being held hostage for ransom in enemy territory. Like I think of, you know, Israel and Hamas and like, man, it's like you've been, it's like you have been kidnapped by these, by these terrorists and these special forces come in to set you free. Yet after being set free, you choose to keep spending some time back over in enemy territory. So asking the question in Romans 6, 1, man, why don't we keep on sinning so grace can abound? Like, it's, it is as dumb as that. You were a hostage. You've been set free. Why would you go back and hang out with the people that were holding you hostage? God sent Jesus to set you free from captivity to the enemy. So to say yes to Jesus, but to keep living in sin would be like, yeah, being set free and going back. You know that, that, that reel that uh, keeps popping up of, or that video that keeps popping up of, of the sheep that got stuck in the ditch? Have you seen this? And the guy goes to help it out and the sheep goes prouncing off and then curves right back around, bam, right back into the ditch. Like that's what this is like. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Another way to ask that is, how can we who've been set free continue to live like hostages? Or how can we who've been delivered from the domain of darkness continue to live in it? The answer is, that's just a ridiculous question. In verse 10 and 11, it, it, it gives us another angle. So verse 10, for the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Jesus, notice the verb tense is there in verse 10. Verse 10, he says, for the death he died he died to sin. What's the verb tense? Seven of you know how to read, apparently. What's the verb tense? Past tense. That's past, okay? So for the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. What's the verb tense? Present. So one is in the past and has been accomplished. The other is in the present and is ongoing. So what Paul's saying is, so also you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. 
Like you also must consider your sinful identity as dead and in the past and now you have this new identity of being no longer alive to sin but alive to God. So, so here's the question, here's the, here's, here's, here's the big thing. Can sin still rear its ugly head in your life? Yes. But whereas before Jesus, sin truly did rule over you, now sin is just lying to you. Like it no longer has jurisdiction in your life. You no longer owe sin anything. Your ransom to sin has been paid off. Your obligation to sin has been satisfied in Jesus. You can be victorious over sin. Before you couldn't, but now you can. Which all leads to the last thing Paul says in this section, verse 12. He says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. He is saying sin no longer rules you, so stop letting it rule you. He's saying you no longer have any obligation to sin, so stop offering yourself to it as if you did. Look again at verse 13. He says, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for unrighteousness. Who are you going to offer your life to? That's the question that comes out of verse 13. Who are you going to offer your life to? Sin or righteousness? Better way to say it is, who are you going to offer your life to? Satan or God? You know, Romans 12.1 will eventually say, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, who is your spiritual, this is your spiritual act of worship. You need to know that everyone in here, you are offering your life as a living sacrifice to something or someone. Everybody. Nobody's exempt. The reality is you're either offering your life as a living sacrifice to God and righteousness or as a living sacrifice to Satan and sin. How can we who died to sin still live in it? And the only way a believer continues to live in sin is when we fail to understand our new identity in Christ. And I still sin. Like God is transforming my heart. But, but I'm sorry, ask my wife. I'm still a sinner. I don't even want to put still behind it. Like, I sin. I am a sinner. And every time I do sin, it's evidence that I'm failing to understand who I now am in, in Christ. You're either dead in sin or dead to sin. Which is it for you? 